Every company has breakdowns in their revenue process. Sure thing deals slip into next quarter, competitors creep in and swipe deals away at the last minute, and deals getting single threaded that don't get to power. These are just a few examples of revenue leak, but there are a ton more, and they're preventing your team from reaching their sales targets. That's why I'm such a big fan of Clary's revenue platform. It's the only tool that actually helps leaders take control of their revenue and thrive through any market conditions, especially when things get tough. You can't afford to miss a single detail, but you also can't be leading by gut. Clary combines the science and the art of sales and sales leadership. So go to Clary.com if you want to answer the most important question in your business. Are you going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue? Welcome to the Live Better, Sell Better podcast with your host, Kevin Dorsey of Inside Sales Excellence, the number one Patreon group and YouTube channel for tech sellers and tech sales leaders, where we dive in deep for tactical advice on how to book more meetings, close more deals faster, and lead sales teams to success. But we don't stop there. We also focus on the person in salesperson. We talk about mindset, goals, time management, and so much more. So thank you for listening. And if you're interested, head on over to patreon.com slash inside sales excellence. Now with that, grab a notepad, get ready, and let's dive into the good stuff. Yeah, so we have an incredible team. We have a lot of people that have different specialties on our teams too. So we've really leaned into that. Um, you know, if there's one person who's a total rock star copywriter, we'll have them actually schedule a one hour session to walk through how they approach copywriting emails um, and do some sort of practice with their new hires. And it's also a great opportunity too for people who are interested in leadership to start to get a little bit more mentorship under their belt um, and work more directly with some of the new hires. So that's been a huge focus. We also do some um, group training sessions. So for example, bring a cold call to the group, um, actually listen to that cold call. First, we'll do sort of a round table of feedback. So everybody gives, you know, maybe what's one thing that was great about that call and one thing where we think we could improve a little bit. And then we'll actually reenact that call um, and do sort of that more role play um, with everybody in the room. So not just the new hire, not just putting them on the spot, but getting everybody to practice so that they really feel like they're a part of the team. Um, so a combination of, of one-on-one uh, job shadowing, but then also creating those sort of group settings for learning for everybody. Because as much as even if you've been in the role for a year, there's still room for you to brush up on your cold call chops um, and improve a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. What would you say is one of the bigger changes you'd like to make to your program? Right. If you had unlimited resources or were rebuilding again from scratch, what would be like a cool idea you've wanted to implement but haven't been able to yet? I would love to have a dedicated person that can really be with the SDRs throughout their entire onboarding program. It's I have amazing managers <laughs> on my team, but I feel for them sometimes. It's really hard to balance uh, running your business, running that machine, while also giving somebody the amount of support they need in order to effectively learn and ramp up as quickly as possible. Um, so I, I think there could be a lot that could potentially come from you know having somebody be that 
that dedicated person in that specific role. That would be one area. And then, yeah, probably a little bit of, of what I mentioned before, like really just extending the program. I think creating more opportunities for frequent repetition. Um, it's all just like practice makes perfect. So um, just creating more space for that over time would be really key. And then honestly, I, I really do miss hanging out in person. So, you know, I hope that, you know, I believe the future is remote and I believe, I think we'll, we'll probably be in some sort of a hybrid model, you know, overall out there, but meeting your teammates, I think is so important. Building that emotional connection, celebrating, having fun together. If you can have even just a day to hang out together, you're going to be so much more likely to reach out to that person with a question um, or a concern or a frustration um, and I really want to create that culture where everybody feels connected and and like they can help each other out. I, I love it. I love it. And talk to me when you get that dedicated person, because I've been able to do that twice now. And it is a game changer. It oh. helps. in so I have an SDR onboarding manager and I have an AE onboarding manager. And the AE onboarding manager is responsible for the SDRs getting promoted into the AE role. So like my SDRs, they get their boot camp. They succeed in their role. They go back into an AE bootcamp before they step into the AE role. And I have a dedicated person for each of those roles. So hit me up when, when you get that, because it is worth it. It works really, really well. And if you need someone to nudge someone over there, just tell them, point them my way. I'll nudge them. I'm like, yo, you need to do this. You absolutely need to do this. That's huge. I'm very jealous. (laughs) It it is, it is worth it. And it's generally speaking, it's actually relatively easy to justify because you can say like, if we can get ramp from this to this, if we can get productivity from this to this, it's paying for itself in sometimes less than three months. It's already covering, right? And so how do you measure your onboarding program? Like, how do you know if it's succeeding or not? Yeah, uh, hitting ramp target, pretty simply. Um, so we do have anybody who joins us, depending on when they join in the month, we, they don't really have a quota for the first month um, because it's really all about learning. They are on a 50% quota uh, for their second month and then 100% quota for their third. Um, so that if they're able to hit those benchmarks um, and actually attain their quota within the first three months, that's our biggest indicator of success. Of course, there's other little things around that behavioral win that we see, you know, are they, if we give them a call target of say making 30 calls a day, are they actually doing that? If they're not doing that, it probably just means that they're not comfortable, that they're not ready. And we need to do a better job supporting them in learning how to do that so that they can. So a few other things around that, but ultimately outputs, <laughs> are they able to hit their quota or not? <laughs> oh, yeah. So what do you do if someone's not, what if you get someone in and it's in week two and they're already like, oh boy, like, they're not, it's not seem to stick or they're not seem to get it or we're already seeing some of the behavioral issues, right? They're not putting in some of the actions. Like what do you do if that starts to develop in onboarding? Yeah, it's tricky when that happens. I will say we have a pretty awesome hiring framework that we've been using consistently. Nice. And fortunately, I, I really haven't run into that um, at least in, in quite a few years. But I can't imagine if I were finding myself in that situation that it would just really be an an open conversation with that person to see if, you know, maybe they're having the same doubts that I am. Um, If this isn't quite the role that they expected and, you know, they're just really struggling getting into it. 
Uh, I would hope that through really being intentional with creating space for them to be authentic in those first couple of weeks that they might feel comfortable having that conversation with me um, even early on. And maybe that means we dig in even harder and, you know, I give it my all to work with them to try and build them up. Or maybe it means we, you know, just part ways because it, it wasn't the right fit to begin with. But yeah, I fortunately haven't had to deal with that. <laughs> so. Well, see, now you've opened up Pandora's box here, right? Because I, I'm glad that we got to this point eventually, because I do think hiring influences onboarding significantly. So many ways, especially too, if you make a bad hire into an onboarding class and they have like a negative attitude, it can spoil like the whole group, right? And so you talk about this hiring framework. Are you able to share some of these hiring frameworks of like how to vet out before they get in? Because I know a lot of people struggle with this. And truthfully, I was very similar to your response pre-pandemic. Remotely, we've struggled with this more. We never struggled with it before, but going remote, these things started to bubble up a little bit more. So like walk us through, I guess, what you're looking for in hiring to get ahead of some of these things. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. I read a book when I first started my sales development leadership career about five years ago called The Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberg. It was, it kind of influenced me to build a scorecard for how I'm measuring interviews and measuring candidates. One of the, I, I think I've already mentioned, like one of the biggest focuses for me is creating a diverse workplace. It's just really core to who I am as a woman in sales. Um, you know, being able to see other women around me is really important. Um, but also people coming from dif different ethnic backgrounds um, as well, or socioeconomic. Um, I just think creating a space for everyone to thrive in sales is, is really key. And so part of being able to do that is being able to hire a bit more scientifically rather than with that feeling, those feelings that happen that sometimes, you know, make us make decisions based off of biases, whether conscious or unconscious, that we want to stay away from as much as possible. So I look for pretty standard things that probably a lot of sales development leaders look for. Curiosity, coachability are definitely two of the top ones that I look for. Curiosity, I just think is one of those things that you really can't teach. It has to be there or it's not. So it's really, really key that we look for that early on. I look for history of excellence. That doesn't mean necessarily in a sales role. That could just be, you know, were you a star scholar in your college or university program? Um, have you, you know, set a goal for yourself and, you know, hit specific milestones working towards that goal and eventually achieve that goal? Little things like that. We also look for work ethic, intelligence, and then they need to have a really strong, compelling reason why they want to be in sales. That's a really, really important one, important one that we never look over. I don't hire people onto my team who are unsure about whether or not they want to pursue a career in sales. I just find it so much harder to motivate them and get them to execute on the tasks that are needed in order to deliver. So those are a few of the key things that we look for. 